0: It is really good to get to spend a few moments with you. Today we're going to dive in just a moment, but before we get started in our vision series, this year is uh, really, I don't know about you, but I want to have a better year, and I want to get better this year. And part of doing that, one of the ways that we do that as a church is we spend the first season of a year uh, praying and fasting, called 21 Days of Prayer and Fasting. And We started a few weeks ago. Uh, If you have not uh, kind of partnered with us in this and joined in. Uh, we still have one week left, and so kind of kicking off the last week today, and it's going to culminate next week. We, we're kind of bringing out, uh, rolling out our Vision Sunday. It's one of the biggest Sundays of the year. We don't want you to miss it, but it, what leads up to that is a season of, of prayer and fasting. We, we really believe that not only does God deserve our best, but one of the ways that we give Him our best is that we give Him our first. You know, God When we tend to set the the first aside for God, it's amazing how God blesses the rest and takes care of us. And for us as a church, we spend 21 days saying, okay, we're going to intentionally craft some space so that we can pray and seek God. And then we're going to discipline ourselves to say no, you know, to some things maybe that we always say yes to. And I think that every season God continues to show me something about uh, praying and fasting when we do this together. And, And I just want to encourage you, if you have not been joining with, just make it seven days of prayer and fasting, but be a part of that for the next week because... I believe that as we do that, God really does show up. Now, you might be thinking about, well, what is fasting? Fasting is intentionally saying no to something so that we can, in that capacity, say yes to God. So maybe the most often uh, kind of termed fast is, is a food fast, right? So we might say no to food so that we can take that time and that space and that margin in our life and say yes to God. But you could say, hey, you know what? I always say yes to social media. I get out my phone. And I spend 30 minutes on that. So maybe saying no to social media creates space for saying yes to God. And every time we begin to do that and craft space in our lives, God shows up. Because fasting is not just, its not about like dieting. Fasting is an invitation to allow God to reshape your perspective. I And just to encourage you, you know, a diet change, many of us, this is our our New Year's resolution, we want to get better, we want to get in shape. A diet change can help us look better, but a fast will help us see better. A fast helps us see better. I I promise you, every time we do this, God shows up and shows me something. And I know that to be true, and, and so much so that we're literally sitting in the fruit of that right now. You know, a few years ago, we were really contemplating what we were going to do in the next season of growth because we had grown so much at Eastgate, and obviously this is prior to the pandemic and everything that's happened since then, Uh, but we had grown so much we didn't have space, and so we're trying to figure out, you know, do we move the whole thing somewhere, And, and then I came up with this brilliant idea of let's find a small space, and you know, we'll renovate something that's around 10,000 square feet. And we just couldn't find anything that fit. And, and, and so in 2019, I just said, God, I, I, this whole 21 days, I, I'm so tired of this tension. I'm just going to fast and pray for this. And I was driving. It was in the last week of that. And I was driving down uh, to the post office. And I looked down what was then East, uh, what was it, East 1st Street, right? East South Street. What is it? East South Street. That sounds weird to say, doesn't it? East South Street. Whatever it was. It's no longer that anymore. But I looked down at it, and there was a for sale sign. And something just kind of sparked some interest in it. And I called our real estate agent. We walked in, and I immediately saw what we're standing in right now. Here's the remarkable thing. This building had been on the market for almost a year at that point. I had seen the for sale sign. But through that fast, God helped me see something that I hadn't seen. That's what we pray for when we're fast thinking. We pray that God open my eyes, help me to see. And we're gonna to continue to lean into praying and seeking God. We're gonna do that online. We'll do some pop-up prayers on Facebook. So if you're on Facebook and we pop up and go live, just hop on with us. We'd love to pray for you. I'd love to kind of encourage you. If you see those as you're scrolling through Facebook, it's going to be real quick encouragement for you in your, kind of in your prayer life, maybe a new perspective for that. And then next Saturday morning, make plans. Go ahead and get it in your schedule. Next Saturday morning at 9 a.m., we're going to gather together here to pray. Uh, we we really want to seek God. We want to ask Him to do something in your life. Ask Him to do something in our city, our community, in our church. We we really want that. So if you can join with us, uh, we'd love to have you next Saturday at 9 a.m. Now, for those of you who are last week, you know we kicked this series off by by looking at a teaching that Jesus gives at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. It comes the Sermon on the Mount, is Matthew five, six, and seven. Then into Matthew seven, Jesus says this: Anyone Who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. Like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish. Like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with the mighty crash. Jesus is building this metaphor at the end of this teaching that you know the way that we build a home, and some of us are very familiar with this. We've built homes before. The way you build a home is a lot like the way you build a life. and Some of the mistakes we make when it comes to building, for example, our lives are some of the same mistakes we make when we build our lives. Some of us will argue about the paint color and, the decorations and the furniture when we have never inspected the foundation. And Jesus says, listen, it doesn't matter what's on top of it if the foundation's not good. Start with the foundation. And and if you paid attention in that story, until one of the houses collapsed, the story of both the builders seemed a lot alike. As a matter of fact, we know that both builders built a house, which means they crafted, whether it was in blueprints or in their mind, they crafted a plan, they went about doing the work, and they completed the task. They built a house. And, you know, you can imagine moving their family in, moving whatever the purpose of that was, and they move in. And the second thing that they had in common is they both faced a storm. Now, we're going to face storms. They faced storms. Storms are not anything new, but they faced a storm. Now, If you place this story at the the context of of the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has been really expanding our understanding of the law of God. And he's, he's helped us to see that perhaps the way that we've understood his teaching, God's law, is not the way that God intended it. Because he said things like, You've heard it said, do not murder. But I say, if you've ever hated someone in your heart, you've already committed murder. And he's, he's taking the law of God, moving it from just being behavior to, now it's a heart issue. It's really what happens in here. All of this is, is much bigger in here than you could have ever imagined. And so... When you go back to the the metaphor, it's like building a house, but it's really building life. There was also something that these builders had in common. Both builders heard the teaching of Jesus. They both heard the teaching of Jesus, but only one followed the teachings of Jesus. They both heard it, but only one followed. Followed it, which leads to a, a difficult reality, and that's this, this very stark reality, that just because you've heard Jesus doesn't mean you're following him. We, we live in a culture that does a lot of listening, a lot of hearing, a lot of information-consuming, a lot of podcasts being listened to. A lot of sermons being perused. It is very easy to curate your own kind of online spiritual experience where you're listening to this and hearing that and listening, reading that. doing all. We, we have a listening and consuming culture. But please listen to me. For Jesus, the issue wasn't just, are you hearing? The issue was, what are you doing with what you have heard? I think sometimes our conceptualization of who God is betrays us. Christian Smith, who's professor of sociology at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, the, the better school in that region, John Mike so forgive me for saying that. Did a nationwide study. It was exhaustive, I mean, tens of thousands of interviews to try to accurately understand the way that we culturally view God. Now, this is people of faith people of different faiths, but how do we culturally think of God? And here's what he came to conclusion to say. We view God as a divine butler and a cosmic therapist. He's there, and if I call for him, he'll show up to help me, kind of like a butler, just slightly out of reach, not really involved. Or he's a cosmic therapist. If I'm having a bad day, I can dial him up and he'll give me some advice. Please listen to what I'm about to say. Jesus doesn't want to simply inform your life. And for too many of us, that's all Jesus is. He's one of the streams of information that we have coming into our life. He, Jesus doesn't want to simply inform your life. Jesus wants to transform your life. He wants to transform your life. Something in your life right now is moving you. Something in your life right now is changing you. Something is transforming your life something is maybe for you it's it's a relationship maybe it's a, a husband maybe it's a wife maybe it's a friend maybe it's your your kids or, or your parents maybe maybe it's right now let's just be honest about the cultural moment we find ourselves in maybe it's political rhetoric Something is transforming your life. Maybe it's the rhetoric of politicians. Maybe it's a passion, a dream, a goal, a desire. Maybe it's, it's your own perspective. Maybe it's the way you see the world, the way you think about it, your own thoughts, your own perspectives. Whatever you're responding to is what's changing you. And this is, in essence, the heart of the crux of the gospel. It is a pivotal, pivotal idea in the teachings of Jesus. It is so important because... What we're responding to is what we're worshiping. That's what worship is. Worship is not like getting in this room and singing a bunch of cool songs. and It's not that. It's a part of it, but it's not all of it. Worship is our response to God. The way that we respond to God is our act of worship. It's how you will worship God tomorrow morning. Tomorrow night, next week, next month. Worship is our response. And you are responding right now to something. Are you responding to Jesus? I heard this story about a comedian. He was traveling in an airplane. and He said, you know, we, we had just taken off and the pilot got on and said, hey, there's, there's some trouble with one of the engines. We've got to turn around. We've got to try to get back to the airport. He said, you know, the guy sitting next to me got really bent, really upset very quickly. And if you've ever been on an airplane and there's been some turbulence or some stuff like this that happened, I can completely understand because I've been there and it's very scary. So this guy's scared. And he said, he turned over and looked at me. He said, how far do you think this plane can get? And he said, man, I don't know, but I'm guessing all the way to the scene of the crash. you remember what happened to the house that was built on the wrong foundation? It crashed. And maybe today, maybe you're following something, and it's only going to lead you to the scene of a crash. Are you following something? And we can call those, I like to call them functional saviors. Okay, it's not really a savior, but we try to treat it like it's a savior. It's it's a good thing that we try to turn into a god thing. Are you following something that's only going to lead to the scene of a crash? Let me give you a few examples of those. Here's one, a relationship. A relationship. Maybe today if It might be for you, it might be your kids, it might be your spouse, it might be a friend, it might be a parent. There's a reality, and this is a very tough tension when it comes to relationships with people. We need people. Please hear me out, we need people. We need people in our lives that love us. We need people that care for us. We need people, but we do not need people to be our God. We need people. But we don't need people to be our God. And far too often, we're looking for God things in simply good things. It's a blessing to have kids. It's a blessing to have a good friend. But too often, we're looking for God things in good things. Think about this. If you're a parent in here, you felt this with your kids. Right? They come out and they're so cute and cuddly and they all poop and pee all over everything. They don't talk back to you yet. You think, man, this little hopeless ball of flesh needs me. It can't exist without me. There's no way it's ever going to make it through the world unless I'm here. And there's a phenomenon that's happened in our world. We call it helicopter parents. Parents who can't stop being that kind of a parent. They don't know that there's a moment when you've got to go, this is not my kid, this is God's child. And I've got to be able to have the wisdom to know when to release it back to God. I've got to be able to trust God with this kid. God only trusted it. It's a gift for just a little while. I have friends. This is no joke. This is a phenomenon that's happened all over the country. I have friends. They both work from home. And their, their oldest kid went to school a few years ago. And they literally moved across the country to go and live in the same city where their kid went to college. There's something wrong in the way that we approach our kids. Look at this, Psalm 127. Children are a gift from the Lord. From where? From the Lord. They are a reward from Him. Okay? They come from God. They belong to Him. That's how they get to us. Children born to a young man are like arrows in a warrior's hands. Please listen to what I'm about to say, especially if you're a parent. Arrows are worth nothing if you're not willing to release them. They are worth nothing if you're not willing to release them. And I've come to see this When you try to hold on to something you're called to release, it will only break you and ruin the blessing. This is true, not just as parents with our kids. It's a universally true spiritual principle. It's true in our finances, right? God has blessed us with money. He's called us to release that in generosity. When we're not willing to release it, we kill the blessing. And though kids are good things, they they will never be God things. And if you try to turn them into God things, you're only going to follow that to the scene of the crash. We can do that with friends, too. I've had so many people sit down in the middle of some very hard seasons and say, you know, hey, you know, I just want to tell you a story of how I got here. And it always starts this way. Well, you know, I had these friends. I had these friends. They were doing that. They tried to get me to do it. I just saw my friends doing that. Oh, I had these friends. I had these friends. Proverbs 12, 26 says, The godly give good advice to their friends, but the wicked lead them astray. Sometimes when you step back and be honest about who we're listening to, do you, do you find comfort in listening to the people who only tell you affirming input about what you're doing? Or are you leaning into godly relationships where, where people are saying, no, I, I don't see that as wisdom? No, I I I really can't understand why people who are challenging. Who who are the people When you hit a moment that you need some advice, who are you calling? The godly give good advice, but the wicked will lead you astray. We need to realize that if we're following the wrong friends, right? We need people, but we don't need people to be our God. When we're following the wrong friends, people are going to lead us to the scene of the crash. Here's another thing. Here's another thing. Political rhetoric. I mentioned this earlier. I mean, I think we all feel this in this moment. We are a politically divided nation. It is not just divisive. It is utterly painful right now to engage in any kind of healthy political discourse. We are polarized. We aren't listening to people and Please pay attention to what I'm about to say. A divided world needs to see United Church. Please don't get confused about where your citizenship ultimately resides. I love our country. I have been in countries where I have watched thousands of people worship literally in fear of their government not knowing if the government's going to come in and crack down and tell them that they can't worship anymore. I've been there. I've watched it happen. I love the freedoms that we live in in this country. But I need to be reminded, and we need to be reminded every once in a while, that the ultimate citizenship that I hold is not to the United States. It's to the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus saw that this was going to be such a contentious point, so much so that he prayed his last public prayer in John 17 this I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you, and may they be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. Jesus prayed for unity, he prayed for unity. And though I preached about this just a few months ago, I just want to remind you that unity implies diversity. He didn't pray for us to be all the same. He didn't pray for uniformity. He prayed for there to be unity of purpose in the midst of great diversity, which means that there will be people that think differently than you do, who act differently than you do, have different political beliefs, and all of that, and we can be united around our eternal citizenship in heaven. Why would we ever sacrifice that for a temporary ruler, for temporary rhetoric, when our kingdom is eternal? Jesus was questioned by Pilate. And Pilate, who's the Roman governor of Judea, was, was about to execute Jesus. And he's saying, listen, Jesus, all these, these Jewish leaders are accusing you of saying that you're the, the king of the Jews. I mean, this creates a lot of tension in my day because you're not, like, we're not supposed to have another king. Caesar's appointed a king. This is creating, and Jesus goes, listen, my kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is not of this world. Please, I didn't say this in the other services, but I I just want to say it today. Please don't sacrifice your influence as a believer and follower of Jesus for just simply trying to make a political point. You can make a point or you can make a difference. But you can rarely make both. And if you're willing to follow a political rhetoric, I don't care what side you're on, it's going to lead you to a crash. It's going to lead you to a crash. But here's another thing. Here's another thing, that if you're following it, it is going to lead you to the scene of the crash. Look at this. It's this, number three. It's you. Sorry, bad news. (laughs) It's you. You, if you're following you, you're going to lead yourself to the scene of the crash of all the enemies that you have. The most persistent and present enemy in your life is you. It's you. Because if we're honest, we can be wrong. And not only can we be the kind of wrong that we're all kind of familiar with, like I'm just wrong and I know I'm wrong, but we can be the kind of wrong where I think I'm dead right, but I'm dead wrong. The Bible goes to great lengths to make this point to us. In, in Proverbs, two times, it includes the very same verse. It's this verse. There is a way that appears to be right, but in the end, it leads to death. When I memorize this verse, there is a way that seems right to a man, but the end of which is death. Which means you might think you're right, But you can be dead wrong in thinking you're right. Which is why we need to go back to what Jesus said. What did he say? Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. They listen and they followed. That's wisdom. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish We are not playing church in this moment. We're not here in this moment just trying to stamp our little punch card and say that I came into church this morning. We're here because we want to hear from God and we want to walk out of here different than we walked into this place. So I want to help you today. I want to help you get better at listening and following. I'm going to give you five things. This going to be real quick. I want to help you kind of take some steps, some practical steps into positioning your heart and your life where not only do we hear Jesus, but we begin to apply those teachings and live them out. Number one, identify the people who love you enough to have hard conversations and give them permission to ask you questions. These are some of the most important people in your life. You want to know why? Because how often does that hard conversation go well? (laughs) It doesn't. It doesn't normally, does it? As a matter of fact, it's normally really difficult, really challenging. It's emotional. It's taxing. But there are people in your life that are willing to endure all of that so that they can be there and love you in a way that does something that's powerful. This is called accountability. Like, who are the people in your life that you've given permission to say, hey, when you see me wandering away, I just want you to know I give you permission. You can hold me accountable. I mean, I have friends literally all over the country that I have told this. Please pray for me. And if God ever gives you anything, no matter how weird it is, please call me, challenge me, ask me the question. Pray for me. Whatever God, whatever you sense, like do please just like get in my world. It's called accountability. Now, some of you, you want to have that kind of a relationship with other people. You, you want to be the person. Maybe right now, even there are people in your life that you hold that kind of relationship with that you're you're providing some accountability. Let me give you some hints if that's you. Here's one lead with questions, not with accusations. Lead with questions, not accusations. It's arming to lead with accusations. I saw you doing that, and that means that you were. That's an accusation. It's arming. We get get defensive about that. Question, I saw you doing that. Can you help me understand what was going on? Disarming. If you're that person, make sure that you're leading with questions, not accusations, and that everything that you're saying is coming with truth and love. Find the people that will ask you, hard qu- com- or ask you hard questions. Give them permission. And here's number two. Seek trusted, unbiased input when it involves you. When it involves you. Because here's what happens. When it involves us, We have a really, really bad perspective over things. We don't take jokes that were made at our expense the same way we take jokes that were made at other people's expense. We don't view stories that are told about us the way that we view stories that are told about other people. When we're at the center of things, we have a different perspective. And we need something to help us see those moments real clear. A few months ago, somebody did that. Someone told a joke about me, and it kind of caught me off guard, and I didn't really know how to take it. And I was like, huh? And so I was trying to process that, and I I literally called one of my overseers and said, hey, um, here's the context. This is somebody I have a really good relationship. It's kind of like an older brother. He said, hey, this is what happened. Can you help me see... What's happening? He's like, dude, you're being way too sensitive about that. It's a funny joke. It's a funny joke. Laugh at it. Laugh at yourself. It's not about you. It's not about you. So who who do you go to that keeps you in check? Who do you go to that keeps you in check? Because we need those people. Number three, self-check the tendency to negotiate. Self-check. Your tendency, it's our tendency to negotiate. God says, all right, I want you to forgive that person that hurt you. And we go, okay, God, I will do that. I will do that when they show some remorse. How about that, God? Does that sound good? I will do that when, when, it, when, when I feel a little bit more comfortable with this, God. What are we doing? We're We're negotiating. We're negotiating. We need to learn to self-check our tendency to negotiate. Here's why. Half-hearted obedience is disobedience. God doesn't want your half-hearted obedience. He wants your wholehearted obedience. And a lot of times when we start to negotiate, what happens is we actually start to kind of push it away. You know, sometimes... We start to say, you know, and I just need, I know this is what I'm supposed to do, but I just need to wait until I feel it. And in real, just hear what I'm about to say. Some of us need to learn to go with what we know, not what we feel. Because a lot of times we're, we're waiting for our feelings to align. But please hear what I'm about to say, too. Our feelings will follow. Feelings follow your decisions. They make really bad leads for your decisions, but feelings will follow. If I know this is what God's commanded, then I'm going to do it, and I'm not going to wait on my feelings because my feelings will follow. Now, some of us will also do this. We start praying and going, God, but, you know, like, am I really supposed to forgive that person? And then we come back and go, you know, I really felt like the Lord said I didn't have to forgive them. just felt that come out on prayer time today, I just really felt like, here's, please listen to this too. God's voice does not contradict God's Word. Okay? God's not going to tell you to do something that His Word says not to do. We need to learn to create that alignment between those two things. And to let God's Word be a good sift and test for what we feel like God's saying in our lives. Here's another thing. Number four, reduce the space between God's command and your response. Because what can happen? God will speak to us, and then we're like, I'm so busy, God. God. I don't know how, what am I going to do? Like, I know you said forgive that person, but, but I don't even have their number. I don't know how to get in touch with them. That was a few years ago. I've just been kind of stewing over, and I'm, I get it. I'm supposed to forgive them. I'm going to do it. But you know what, God? I'm just, let, let me kind of, let me, I, when I get around to it, I'll start working towards that. And what happens is, is God speaks, and all of a sudden there starts to be distance, distance. We start putting off what we know we're supposed to do right now. If you really want to build a life that is built on the rock of Jesus' teachings, we need to reduce the space between God's command and our obedience. Why? Because delayed obedience is disobedience. Delayed obedience is disobedience. And God wants to have The kind of relationship with you where God speaks and we respond. As a parent, I can tell you that there's nothing more annoying than having to tell my kids 737 times to go clean up their clothes in the bathroom after they took a shower. As a matter of fact, it gets quite annoying after a while. But I will say this. There is something so pleasing about saying it once and watching them respond. In the same way, we want want to please the heart of God. We don't need him to tell us a thousand times. God, I just want to be able to obey when you speak. And here's the last thing. Ask God to help you see what you're following everybody is following something ask God to help you see what you're following And it might be one of those things where you go, you know, in most of my life I'm doing real good, but in this relationship I haven't been real good at following. Or in this portion of my career I haven't been real good at following. Or in this kind of scenario with my heart. I have. Ask God to show you what you've been following. Psalm 139 is a prayer that comes from the heart of King David. I love this. I think it means a lot in this situation. Search me, O God, and know my heart. God, come in. Look into me. See the things that I can't see. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Remember that a test is not trying to fail you. it is not A, a test is given by a good teacher to help you and the teacher understand where you are in the mastery of the lesson. All right, God, show me where I am. Show me where I am in all this. Point out Anything in me that offends you. Point out, God, show me anything in my heart that offends you, God. Show me the places that I'm not following you. Show me the places where I'm worried about the opinions of people. Show me the places right now where I'm being moved and swayed by what politicians have said. Show me the places, God, where I'm so worried about disappointing somebody that I'm not willing to step up and be obedient to you. God, show me. And lead me along the path of everlasting life. You got two builders. Jesus says one listened and did nothing, and one listened and obeyed. And it was the one who listened and obeyed that built their life on the rock. They lasted the storm. What was Jesus saying? He was saying, Listen, I'm here. I'm here. Jesus is here to lead you and guide you and shape you and grow you. But the only way he can do that is if you follow him. What makes us better? It is not reading the right blogs or having the right clothes or making the right investments. What makes us better is following Jesus. And it is just that Simple. Let's pray together. God, thank you for this moment together. If we're honest, there are many places in our lives that we're not following you, God. We are moved and swayed by what the opinions of others say. God, we are challenged by not wanting to disappoint somebody. God, we are right now so caught up in what we think and what we understand and our perception that so many, so many times, God, we are not responding to you. So help us right now in this moment to confess that, to repent from it, and to make a new confession. God, that we want to follow you with every head bowed, all of our eyes closed, nobody getting up, moving around. Right now, if, if you're here today and you would just kind of identify with that. Yes, I see that. I see that in, in some parts of my life. I, I've, been, I've been following things. I've been, been responding to things. I've been moved by things that were not from God. And right now, I just want to confess that as sin and invite the Holy Spirit to come in and to help me change and grow and take the next step in this life with him. Maybe right now you're that person. You've never made that decision at all. And right now is the moment for you to just kind of say, I'm going to lay it all down, God. I'm going to give it all to you. I'm going to start try- stop trying to do things my way. I'm, I'm really And I'm going to try to listen to what you tell me to do. It starts with saying, God, I'm sorry. You got this right so that I don't have to. I receive your grace, your forgiveness. And right now, if the Holy Spirit's speaking to you, what I'm going to do is in just a moment, I'm going to count to three. I'm going to count one, two, three. And in an outward sign of an inward decision to say yes, we're going to raise our hands together. There are a lot of us in the room today that just need to say, yes, God, I'm going to do that. Yes, God, I'm going to follow you in that relationship. Yes, God, I'm going to follow you when I think that I'm right. I'm going to follow you. Yes, God, I'm going I'm to close the gap between the time that you speak and I obey. I'm going to stop negotiating. Yes, God, whatever it is today. So I'm going to count to three. Here we go. Then you guys raise your hands. Here we go. One, two, three. Raise your hand if that's you. Raise your hand if that's you today. That's awesome. That's awesome. If you're here and you just want to say, God, help me to follow you in every area of my life. Would you raise your hand right now? Help me to follow you in every area of my life. God, we just come before you humbly and ask you to take this moment and help us to not just be people here, but to be people who also obey. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.